Welcome to Across the Table. I'm Hannibal the Magician, and this is my little podcast. It's, uh, today is May the 22nd, 2018. I'm sitting in the backyard of the house that I share called Brokelage, just outside of my little room, which I call Silvervale. It is a chilly mid-50s spring day in Los Angeles. Uh, I am apparently under the traffic pattern for the local airport. (laughs) I just started. I just finished, uh, day before yesterday, I finished four days uh, working the W.C. Fields Bar at the world-famous Magic Castle. It was my first time working behind the bar. I think I knocked it out of the park simply because of the reviews that I've gotten and the, the... seasoned professionals who have contacted me to say specifically that I'm I'm pleased with the performance I turned in I had an incredibly great time playing with the audience and and bringing magic to them and and getting my feet back on stage as it were I need to be there more often Um, in short I loved it I had a great time and I turned in what I consider to be good performances I have three pages of notes for new ideas that occurred to me while I was working that's uh, that's a creative flood, and I'm, uh, I'm pleased that that came along. Hope you're doing well. Um, this marks just about, well, I guess today is uh, three months here on the West Coast. Things are progressing, albeit slowly. The struggle is huge, and it continues on, but I'm hopeful. I'm looking forward to things. I listen to uh, motivational and, and um, uplifting podcasts and programs And I've been taking the bits and pieces here. And one of the things that I wanted to share with you, I'm going to share this with you, this this lesson first, and then I have a story that um, was suggested to me uh, from my past that you might enjoy as well. But uh, one uh, one of the things that I have touted and soapboxed and preached since getting onto this journey, uh, doing what I do, doing card tricks for a living and telling stories to people and, and making making my money that way is that it's not so much about the the destination. Of course you should have goals and of course you should have things you are working towards, especially in a creative process, but the real happiness in life comes along the journey, comes along the, uh, the path of the road. Marillion, yes, this early in the podcast, not even three minutes in, I'm already dropping Marillion reference. Marillion has a song, Happiness is the Road. And it's true. It's not waiting at the end. You have to find your happiness on the way. This is something I struggle with on a daily basis because it is so easy to let the negative voices in your head and the negative voices outside of your head that try to tell you you're not good enough or you're not, you don't belong with us or, or any number of things. If I could make it personal for a second, and given that I am who I am, I'm going to make it personal. There is a there is a performance space that I have been using, and I have been uh, entertaining some audiences there, and it's, it's uh, there are gentlemen and ladies that have been there performing much longer than I have, and have been putting forth, and, and a few of them have expressed to me that, uh, that I don't belong that somehow I haven't put in enough time in that particular venue to, uh, to hang out with the rest of them. It's, uh, 
it's a, a display of jealousy. It's a display of territorialism. And, and I'm sad for them that they feel that way. I'm not here, uh, especially the place, uh, you know, in the places that I'm working, to, to take over. I'm not here to push anybody out of what they're doing or to, or to replace anybody in the job that they're doing. I admire uh, a lot of people in a lot of different positions, and I'm certainly not looking to, to oust them from what they're doing. I want to build something of my own. I don't want to be, you know, the second person to step into a venue. I don't want to, you know, working the Magic Castle, yes. Of course, I work historically uh, from dozens and scores and hundreds of performers that have come before me and stood on those stages, and that's history, and that's different. I'm not specifically trying to take jobs away from somebody else. I want to create my own space. I want to own my own stage. I want to own my own personality, my own show, and put out the things that I creatively, artistically, heartfelt want to do. That's my entire goal. I love the Magic Castle. I love its history. I love the building itself. I love the experiences and the feels that I get there. But the Magic Castle is not my end game. It's part of the journey. It's part of the road. It's an important, beautiful, incredible part of the road. I never expected, when I first started out, the Magic Castle was unobtainable. It was something that I never thought I would be able to even reach for or hope for. Within a few years, I was submitting applications. I was submitting uh, auditions. I had in mind that it might be nice to work there. And I listened to the critique that I got back, back from the videos that I sent in, and I tried to improve to fit in to the space that they had for me. And eventually a live performance, and I know I've told you the story before, a, a live impromptu performance was what did it. But it wasn't, I didn't go to the castle that night with the intent of doing an audition, of actually working, of, of getting in front of people and saying, hey, this is me and this is what I've done. I was given an opportunity. And because I was prepared, because I had worked for years ahead of time, working on the street, working in restaurants, working at bars, in front of real live people who didn't come to see magic, I was able to pull from my skill set, to pull from my tools, step up to the line and, and represent myself well. And here I am, you know, eight years later, and I'm a veteran. I, uh, I am respected, I am accepted, I am welcomed at the Magic Castle as a magical performer because I put my time in and because I put my love and my heart behind what I was doing. I had a point, I'm certain that I did, but I completely derailed. Oh, happiness, that's what it was. I find the joy in creating. I find the happiness. Let me, let me rephrase that because it does actually make a point. I find the happiness in the creative process, in the working out of here's what I want to do. Here's the effect I want my audience to see. And what process will it take to get me there? There's a piece that I'm working on right now that involves only six playing cards just six cards and an excruciatingly difficult sleight of hand move. Um, I, when I can't really describe it more than that without giving too much away, and which I just plain old won't do, but it literally is a minimum of props and an extremely difficult move to do. Now, when I say that, 
it, it's on several levels. The, the move itself is difficult to do to achieve, to train one's hand to perform the move. It is equally, if not more difficult, to do it in a deceptive way to where nobody sees the move that I'm doing because I'm working really, really hard to do a really, really hard move that I don't want anybody to see. It's not... Um, Ah, what could I compare it to if I was going to put it into sports or let's call, you know, let's ice dancing. You put the time in to do the triple lutz and the, and the, the difficult spins and the, the velocity and the height and everything else and the beauty that goes into it. Uh, the dancer puts their time in to show the beauty of what it is uh, and, the, and the, the skill set that they've worked hard for. The dancer is still hiding a lot of the training that goes into what's done to make it beautiful and graceful and make it look effortless. Magic, good sleight of hand magic, conjuring, is also the, uh, the intent of hiding the hard work, of, of masking how difficult it is and making the piece beautiful and effortless. Because if one had true magic, which one does... It should come, at a, you know, effortlessly from the fingertips. And so that's what I'm trying to portray there. But the, the, the happiness comes in, in creating that. While my hand cramps up after hours of practice, while I have gotten frustrated and, and, and I have worn through cards after cards after cards trying to get it right, along the way, it, it polished itself and it became a, a thing of beauty and something that I am proud to present. So I found my happiness along the way. Now... Finding happiness along the, the journey that you're taking, along the road that you're taking through your life is, is deciding, and, and right now I'm not talking about the depressions that come along that are inevitable and the chemical uh, imbalances that some people have that cause them to be sad and one cannot just snap your fingers and say, I'm going to be happy today. But what you can do is, as you are traveling, make the effort towards seeing the beauty in the things around you. And if it's not the people, see the, see the, the green, see the, the growth, see the sky. I mean, see the beauty in a gray, rainy sky. These are our little joys that you can pull for yourself. We live in an architecturally square, drab gray, drab green, squared off cornered world. Our architecture reflects that. The colors we choose, the the, the um, forgive me, the conservative homeowners associations decide these are the proper color palettes, and they're awfully boring. Uh, they don't incite the kind of joy, the kind of childhood, childish, immature joy that bright, vibrant colors can. We. Uh, we were, I was, at least for my generation, and the way I was brought up, I was trained to uh, to minimize the colors, to, to mute the colors down, and uh, to make it, you know, less uh, less harrisome on, on the eyes, you know. Um, but but bright colors make people happy, and and roundness makes people happy, brings little joys. So look for the colors. Look for the, the curves that, that bring you the little joys and the little joys that you can find. The, the, the taste of your favorite food, the, the smell of clean air, the, the aroma of newly cut grass, like I say in the show. 
these little joys are, are what make life worth living. The, the poetry and the music and the, and the art that you see everywhere you go. Everything that, that is constructed was once, you know, just a, a vision in somebody's mind. Or so we need this and what should it look like? And so somebody made it and made it efficient, as my father would say, or would make it beautiful depending on what its purpose was. So look for little joys in your life, the little things that we tend to overlook or, or make, you know, the everyday. But you can find miraculous things in, in everyday, everyday objects. I am sitting right now in my backyard, and the house is a, a drab tan color. Uh, my room in Silvervale is, an, is a, a kind of a muted yellow um, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to paint this one, um, but I have covered it with, with pictures and I have covered it with, with artwork and I have covered it with, with things that mean things to me, um, that add brightness and joy and, and make it my home. Um, sure, it's, it's just a small room, but I've put my heart and my soul everywhere I look. Anywhere my head turns, I see something that reminds me of some joy that I have in my life, and I'm grateful to be able to do that. But right now I'm sitting in my backyard, and, and I'm looking at my drab tan house and its square corners, and, and all around it um, there's flowers blooming. There's pinks, and there's, there's oranges, and, and there's yellows, and there's reds, and greens, and greens, and greens, and vibrant colors. And so I'm taking my joy from that. I stepped outside, I went and found something new, and it inspired me to sit down and do this. There are joys in your life, and yeah, man, life is hard, but through all the hard stuff, there is joy mixed in with it. Uh, you're alive, you're vital, you're breathing. I've got, I've got that right off the top of my head, I have three friends, three women in my life that are going through hell, that, that whose bodies have betrayed them, whose who have caught some uh, something that they cannot identify. Uh, one came came close to, to death and, and scared the hell out of me. Uh, someone who not terribly long ago was vibrant and sarcastic and and buoyant and, and, a, and a joy in my life, and she still is. She's coming out the other side of it now, and, and she's found some relief, but it's been hell. I mean, she literally went through hell with her with her body, with herself. The other two are, are, are still undergoing, still walking their road. And it hurts, and, and it's, it's, it's frustrating in that there's really nothing I can do except be there and be encouraging and be a friend. I can, I can offer words, I can offer little joys, but I can't, I, I can't cure. I have a, a, a very old friend, a gentleman who I admire and, and, and who means a lot in my world, who just found out he's got cancer. Uh, he is he's already in, in treatments and, and there's there's hopefulness and there are tests going on and I don't really know any more than that. He's back on the other coast and, and he is fighting his fight and he's surrounded by family and loved ones and he's doing what he does. And, and in the meantime, he's going out and he's entertaining people. He's been an entertainer, he's been a showman all his life and so that's what he's doing and he's finding his little joys there and that makes me proud, uh, proud to know him proud to be his friend and, and hopeful that should anything like that happen to me that that would be my response I hope we don't know till we're tested yeah uh, a dear friend uh, called me a day or two ago to 
let me know that her father has just been diagnosed with with cancer and and she's scared and she's frightened and she feels powerless and the only thing I can do is be there as an encouragement. Whatever it is you're walking through, I mean, life is short. Life is criminally short. And there's a lot of pain in it. But there's a lot of joy too. And there's a happiness to be found along the path. I struggle with it. I know it's easy to say and not as easy to put into practice. But I'm here to try to encourage you and myself to do the best that you can with what you have. To find your little joys. I'll keep saying that over and over. So, there's that. I have been... Uh, I have looked up and seen myself under attack. From different quarters. From people that are jealous. From people that are envious. From people that uh, don't understand who I am and what I'm trying to do. And feel me as a threat. Let me state right here, I don't have a beef with anyone. I don't have anger or hatred towards anyone anymore. And I learned not long ago, very, very shortly ago, that I'm doing that for them, but I'm also doing it for me. And I'm doing it for me in a larger sense because to carry bitterness and anger and hatred and anything else along is is tainting any message that I might have. And worse than that, affecting my health, affecting my spirit, affecting my own emotions, and I can't carry it with, with me. So I forgive and I love, and I hope to find forgiveness and love on the other side as well. I, uh, I want to be seen as a positive figure. I will be true to myself and be true to my story and be true to my art while doing so. I hope that you find something uplifting and positive from it. A few years ago, I was working for a country club in North Carolina, suburb of Charlotte. I was invited to do an after-dinner show after a uh, country club dinner. And at the time, I was working in comedy clubs, and my, my repertoire, my show was vastly different than it is now. Uh, a lot more magic less stories, a little bit more comedy. Uh, it was made for the after-dinner crowd. Um, and I, I enjoyed it a lot, and people enjoyed it a lot. I got I got hired for it. So anyway, um, one of the effects that I was performing at the time involved me borrowing uh, some rings, some finger rings from the audience. And I would go out and I would find something that wasn't too delicate, I would find something that, you know, couldn't easily be broken or stones knocked out of or anything because accidents happen. And I certainly didn't want to ha that to happen to a member of my audience. So I generally looked for men's rings or women's rings that were a bit more sturdy than the delicate, like, engagement rings. Um, <clears throat> a gentleman about halfway back in the audience stood up and held up his hand and he had a ring in his fingers and he said, you should use mine. Okay, um, I'll go and use yours. And so I went back, and he handed me a ring, big hunk of silver, really heavy, um, which was perfect for the routine I was doing. And as part of the routine, I described the ring to him, and I looked at it in my hand, and it was a big hunk of silver with a, a crest of a, uh, an eagle, spread-winged eagle, and a huge swastika on the top.
and it took me a second. I actually caught my breath, and I was it. It sent a chill in, you know, down my spine, and and I looked at this guy, and he's smiling. He's very, uh, he's very pleased with himself at my reaction, and you know, I'm in the middle of a show. I I can't really. I don't want to say the first thing that came to my mind um, because it, it was, I was shocked. I was stunned. I was a little bit repulsed. And I wondered why he would hand me something like this. And the second question that came to my mind was, why do you own something like this? Um, he was a bit older than myself. Uh, he was not certainly old enough to have been around um, as a participant during World War II. Uh, he would have had to have been a child at the time, based on his age. Um, so I didn't know if it was a, a memento or if it was a, a, a generational thing. Had he inherited it from his father? I didn't know what. All these things ran through my mind as I'm standing there holding this swastika ring. And I looked at him, and all I could say was, tell me about this. And I knew that nobody else in the audience could see it. They couldn't really see what it was. A few of them around him, a few of the people around him were smirking a little bit. So I knew there had to be something up and I wasn't sure if I was about to be the butt of a joke or or what, but I was shocked and the first thing that I thought of was tell me about this. And he said that is my Nazi uh soldier um war ring. And he left it at that. And I was going, do I hand it back? Do I cancel this trick? Do I, what's my response? What's the proper thing to do? I've been paid to do a show and make people happy, and someone has just put something foul into my hand and expected me to do magic with it. Well, he laughed for a moment. After a moment of letting me squirm, he laughed and he introduced himself, and his name was Daniel. And he said, that is from the movie, uh, The Sound of Music. I, uh, I played a Nazi soldier in, uh, in The Sound of Music. And at the end, I, I kept the ring as a memento of, of, the, of the movie, of working on the movie. And I, oh, okay. Um, I'm still a bit confused. I'm still not exactly sure how to address it, but okay. It wasn't what I thought at the beginning. Who are you? And Daniel told me, well, I played Ralph. I'm the, uh, I'm the Nazi soldier, Ralph, who was dating one of the uh, Von Trapp girls, the one who sings I Am 16 going on 17. I danced with her in the gazebo, and I betrayed the family at the end. And I went, ah, yes, you are the, you are the uh, villain. You're one of the villains in the movie. And... Uh, and you kept the ring, and, and uh, he still, uh, apparently he still is out performing and singing and um, uh, telling his story of, of his time on working on the movie, um, and uh, we became, for a little while, we became friends and corresponded back and forth, and he was very encouraging in my career uh, during that time, which was, gosh, almost 20 years ago now, um, as I was coming up. Uh, so I'm very grateful for having met him, but uh, I, if the only lesson that I can really come up with for this is, well, one, I got to meet Rolf. That was actually kind of cool um, to meet someone like that, just to, an icon in American cinema. Uh, second, 
I, uh, I, uh, I judged him quick uh, based on what he gave me. I didn't, I didn't actually know his heart, and what he put in my hand was a symbol of evil. And um, so I quickly judged, and I quickly got stymied, and I quickly got shocked. But it turned out he was a really good-hearted man who had this, uh, forgive me, he had this one joke. He had this one shocking moment where he would drop a swastika into someone's hand or show them the ring that he was wearing just to see their initial impression. Uh, kind of a kind of a prank, you know, harmless, um, but uh, shocking to the core. We are um, surrounded, permeated, preached to on the the absolute black and white of American politics, of how this side is undeniably in the wrong, and we, whoever we are, are undeniably in the right. And I can point to certain figures, and I can point to certain quotes, and I can certainly point to a lot of actions that say that this person does not have the best intentions for the majority of people, or this person has uh, has the wrong idea about the way things actually ought to work, based on my own opinions and based on my own worldview. And while there are certainly very polarizing elements in both the media and in the government and in politics and in all the people who know everything there is to know who happen to be online all the time, most of us, most of us, reside somewhere in the gray, in between. There are, there are points that I can agree with you with, even if there are some things that I vehemently oppose you on. We can still be friends. We can still love each other. We can still agree that life is precious and short. We can still agree to love one another. We can still agree at least I hope we can, that we can strive to love our enemies, that we can strive to, if we can't understand them, if we just cannot see eye to eye on what they are trying to say, to at least say, well, I don't understand. I'm going to love you as a human anyway. I'm going to oppose your viewpoint, and I'm going to do everything I can to keep evil from saturating the world to keep people from dying, to, you know, I've got my viewpoint on the way those things should go, but as a human, as, as people, as one-on-one, -on -one, we can love one another. Men go crazy in congregations, and they only get better single by single than one by one. We show kindness, we, we, we strive for understanding, we find the small joys that we can in the human beings that we, we encounter, we can offer up small joys to strangers. And it makes the world tighter. It makes the world a kinder place. Individual acts of kindness make the world a kinder place. It ain't always easy. Believe me when I tell you that I struggle with it every single day. And there are people that I believe sometimes deserve a little comeuppance. But I also believe that's not entirely my, my place anymore. I have raised my kids. I'm not here to raise grown-up people. 
I can show my point of view and I can show my love and I can show my kindness. But that's kind of where it ends, you know. I will, I will, I will work towards the greater good, and I will start locally. You know, I will start with the, what's around me and the things that I am able to affect. And if everyone does that, we come together, right? At least I hope so. I, uh, I don't know what the next few weeks hold. I know that I have upcoming trips to Minneapolis where it will be colder still. Um, I will be visiting um, uh, Washington, D.C., doing some shows there. I will continue to keep you updated here. I am still um, still fighting the monstrous debt that uh, the unfortunate things in my life that happened are, are still uh, nibbling at me. Um, if you want to help, please uh, support my Patreon. Uh, the easiest way to get there is uh, nakedelfboots.com. Um, of course, there'll be a link in the in the description. I won't beat you over the head with it. Um, $5 a month will, uh, will keep me traveling, will keep me... Uh, help me mail out mailers and, and uh, get my art on down the road. I, uh, I have hope for you, and I hope that uh, there are good things happening around you. I, uh, I hope that you have love near you. Um, you know, like, like I always say, I hope there's love where you are, and I'll repeat that as often as I have to. I have, uh, I have of late received several emails and, and a couple of uh, private messages that are belittling that phrase and mocking that phrase and um, what I take away from that is I'm doing something right if somebody's taking notice enough to uh, to uh, mock what they refer to as my catchphrase then I've gotten your attention haven't I um, so keep it up mock me hate on me uh, I appreciate the attention more than you know I am going to continue to walk my road the best way I know how I'm going to continue to love the people who want to refuse to love me. I'm going to put forth my best effort for my art and for my audience, and I'm going to strive to love myself. I'm thinking of you, and I care about you, and I hope there's love where you are.